Hey, Slay family. This is your girl, Ashley, and welcome back to the podcast. This is the podcast where you are going to be able to be enlightened and encouraged with so many topics. And I know that you're going to enjoy our expert, especially our expert today. Today's topic is all about Jesus and therapy. Are you ready for this discussion? I sure hope so. Let's go. Hey, Slay family. I am so happy that you are back with us for the second segment of our Jesus and Therapy Talk. I'm so grateful for the feedback and the reviews from our last conversation. I know that many of you were blessed and encouraged, and uh, maybe you have a new perspective on therapy. So again, I'm going to introduce this phenomenal woman, just in case you didn't hear it the last time. She's a wife. She's a mother. She's a psychotherapist, also a fellow PK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord knows we need therapy. <laughs> uh, she's a conference host and she is the founder of the Wellness Village. Welcome again, Colleen. Thank you for joining. Yeah, so happy to be here. Yeah. And we've just had this really awesome conversation and I'm glad we're continuing. It's so good and necessary. I kind of wanted to start back where we left off the last time about trying to find the right therapist, right? This is a challenge. And um, it's like trying to find the right hairdresser, trying to find the right pastor, Mm -hmm. you know, churches, there has to be the right fit. For those of you who don't know that I've also participated in going to therapy and it wasn't because I was low or like depressed or anything. I just felt like I needed to confide in someone. And as a preacher and as one who is, I work in a career where I can't just go off on people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need to have an outlet to be able to talk and to share things that I'm going through. And I don't always want to put my load on family members or friends, which they are there, but there comes a time and a place where you say, I just need to go and talk to somebody. And so, you know, you see on TV and you see that people go to, when they go to therapy, they're sitting on this really nice couch and, you know, (laughs) you walk into the office and there's all of these books in there on psychology. And like, it's just like, you know, that is not real folks. Okay. Mm. You may or may not have that experience. Mm. And so my first experience with the therapist was pretty good. I was able to find a Christian therapist who was phenomenal. She started our time together in prayer. And every time we met, we prayed and then we ended in prayer, which was Mm -hmm. powerful. And I believe for that time and season of my life, I needed that. And um, I mean, I remember one time we just had the Holy Spirit just stepped Mm -hmm. in, in the midst of our therapy session. Now you ain't never seen that on TV, but (laughs) it can happen. You know, I mean, there was Mm -hmm. a moment where I just needed some prayer. And I mean, the power of God fell down in that office. I was like, Lord, don't let nobody outside hear us because they're going to think something's going down. We're rumbling and fighting. No, we were warning the spirit. (laughs) But you can find a therapist who has the ability to minister to you also while using some tools and resources that they may have learned in school. You can have Jesus and therapy, literally. Um, I guess one of the challenges that I found with finding the right therapist is that You know, when you are an evangelist or when you are known in the community, 
sometimes people know you outside of just a normal every day. I'm also an educator, but I always run into people who know me as an evangelist or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm an evangelist, but I also run into people who know me as an educator. And for me, I needed a therapist who didn't know me. I don't want you to know who I am. I don't want you to know my background, anything I'm involved in. And so with that particular therapist, it got kind of murky because as she grew to know me, I think she grew to respect me, which is good, right? Which is good on one hand. I want to be respected, but at the same time, I need you to be able to tell me the truth and not spiritualize everything. And you know what I'm saying? And so certain ways I was like, I probably need to find someone who doesn't know who I am does it know me as, you know, evangelist or preacher of the gospel? <laughs> they will know me because that's a part of who I am. But I want someone to be able to deal with my personhood outside of all of the other parts of me. Like you should be able to speak to the evangelist, but also be able to just talk to my humanity. That's what I really needed. And so I ended up having to find a different therapist for the sake of uh, this conversation. I'm not going to go into too much details of other reasons why I needed to find another therapist, but I just recognized that for a season, she was good. And then for another season, I needed something else. And I also want to highlight that that therapist was a Black therapist. She was able to speak to my situation at that moment. And then when I realized, hey, I need something a little bit different, I decided to transition to another therapist who had a different background, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look up different therapists, even Googling, a lot of times they'll have a list of things that they are strong in. So whether it's family and marriage counseling, whether it's dealing with addictions, whether it's dealing with relationship issues, whatever you need, typically they'll have a list of things that they are are good at. And so it's very important to find the right fit, the right person who can kind of guide you and give you the wisdom you need. And so I found that another counselor who was also Christian, but she was better fitted for what I, the season I was in, and she was a lot younger than the other therapist. And so like, I find myself laughing a lot more in this therapy session with her. We laugh so much. I mean, we have like jokes for days. One time she told me like, you know, you really need to work on your friendships. I was like, I don't need friends. You're my therapist. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) No, I need friends. You need friends. I I, I love my friends. I do. But um, it's been that kind of report. So you can actually develop that kind of friendship with your therapist. It can be professional. As long as you respect them as a professional and then they respect you. I guess I'm saying this to say that there are so many stigmas and myths out there about therapy and what it is. And it can be the best thing. I mean, I look forward to talking to her every week. And it's not something where I feel like, oh my gosh, she's going to judge me. Nope. This is the one person other than the Holy Spirit that I can talk to and tell everything. And she is contracted and (laughs) she can't say anything. Right. right. You know, so safety there, there's safety there. And I think that's the key. That's the distinction for someone who is debating, you know, when I got my aunties and my sisters and my girls and, you know, we can, but Yes, you need those, but they're different. It's different because, you know, your auntie's going to go for the person who hurts you, even if you are dead 
wrong. Even mm-hmm. when you are dead wrong, you know, she's taken up for you and she's going to not necessarily call you out as much as a skilled therapist is going to ask you the questions where you can be accountable to yourself mm. and you can honestly admit what missteps might have led you to this sticky place or difficult place that you're in and can support you and help you to get to a place where your freedom is found. So it's a very skilled craft to be able to sit with someone, create a safe space for them to feel like they can be themselves and also come face to face with what is in the mirror. Once you find the right person, when God brings you to the right individual, I think it's a blessing. I really do. I consider this work to be of God, I think. And I don't only work with Christians. I work with a lot of clients who are not believers. And I still consider this to be an assignment from God, you know, to stand and witness their journey and to stand with them in that gap while they are working through. So it can be an incredibly life changing experience when you enter in and you're ready to do the work. Oh, you said something. So a lot of times when we go to therapy, we think it's just talk and sometimes there's homework. Oh yeah. Well, if you're in my session, (laughs) the only time, You know, the only time on a rare occasion, on a rare occasion, and it might be that someone's just in the midst of a storm when the only thing on the plate is making it through to tomorrow, you know, but eventually as we kind of navigate and they get their bearings, that's the point of us coming together is to help to create a map for how to effect positive change in your life. It's not about coming to therapy every week so that you hear me tell you what you need to do and then you go through your week and then come back again. And no, the idea is for you to be strengthened to know how you are going to solve the issues and how you are going to access the power of God that is inside of you, that has been given to you and know how to kind of walk that out day by day, season by season. I am a therapist who believes in homework. Coming together for an hour, it's wonderful. Uh, Incredible things happen within the session. There's insights, aha moments. You're validated. You're able to gain insight and support. But if you want to have long-lasting change, then you need to take what is uncovered in our time together and apply that into your life. And that's what the homework is about. The homework is about now, what do I do with all of this good stuff? How do I make this? How do I walk this out practically in my day-to-day life? That's so good. That's so good. And it's just like when you attend a service on Sunday morning, you listen to a sermon and the greatest way to really put that in action is to apply it, you know, so studying it and reading on it and meditating on it and thinking about it. And so that is so good about you're definitely going to have some work to do. It's not just a therapist's job to 
get you to a certain place, but you're going to have to process and think about things and make some decisions and make some action plans. I love how you mentioned the blueprint. So this is going to be the blueprint of where you're going to go. And I would like to say that therapists don't make decisions for you. That's right. Like they give you the tools to help guide you in those decisions. But ultimately, the decision is going to be in your hand. And mm-hmm. so I love that. Now, I have a question. I have a few friends who are therapists mm-hmm. and are social workers or they work in that field. And do therapists need therapists? Of course. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that I had to do in my studies, we had to be in therapy. Mm -hmm. We had to experience that, you know, we had to know what it felt like to be in that chair that we are inviting people into. And so I have thoroughly enjoyed all of my therapy experiences. I have done therapy individually as well as I've done a marriage, I did premarital counseling before we got married. And after, you know, marriage, after we got married, I mean, there's so many bumps along the way in life. This is my perspective. You cannot expect to just know how to navigate it on your own. I run to uh, trusted advisors for that support. And when I need, find a trusted therapist who can help me along the way. Like you said earlier, it's sometimes difficult when you're in this field as a therapist to find a therapist, but it just takes some, you know, intentionality because yes, the world is a small space, but there are still people who who are not in your circle. You know, people who don't necessarily know where you're coming from. And if you believe that this is something that God is really calling you to do, he will bring you to the right person. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you for that. And then kind of going off on to another topic that's very important. I feel like not only is there a stigma around going to counseling, going to therapy, but there is a stigma around mental health in general, especially mental illnesses. Mm. And so a lot of times we'll hear this person has schizophrenia or this person is bipolar. Mm. And, you know, maybe we look at them and we're like, Mm, what's wrong with them? You know, not understanding that these disorders or functions are just a part of who they are and they can work through it to develop coping mechanisms to function, I guess, normally, quote unquote, normally, what is normal. But there's so many misconceptions about mental illness. Can you shed some light on mental illness and um, how we can just be more, I guess, understanding to those who are faced with mental illnesses? Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a lot of mystery around mental illness because what's happening oftentimes is invisible. We don't see it. We see maybe the results of someone who is having maybe some kind of a psychotic episode or if it's someone who is maybe bipolar, maybe if we see them when they're on, you know, having like a manic episode and they're like unusually like not themselves like on the high end, or if they are severely depressed, we might see sort of the results of what's actually happening in their mind and what's happening in their body. So one of the ways that we need to kind of smash some of these stigmas and create safe space in our churches 
is by educating ourselves. Um, so asking our pastors if they can speak more to these issues or inviting professionals into spaces that can inform us and educate us. We would never condemn someone for having a heart condition, high blood pressure, diabetes, but cancer. Like we would never say like, what's the matter with you? Can't you like get your blood sugar like can in order, like snap out? We would never say that where perhaps if you go through your memory, if you spent enough time here on the earth, you may have had heard some really horrific things said to people who are struggling with their mental health or with mental illness. And so there's, especially within the church, sometimes we spiritualize things and we make it seem as though like spiritually there are things going on, maybe that things that they have done to bring this onto themselves when it's actually a physiological thing that's happening on the inside of this person that they are not able to control. And so we would never say to someone who's a diabetic, you know, just figure out and get your sugars in order. No, we would encourage them to take the medication that's been, you know, prescribed to you and adjust your lifestyle, how you've been directed by your doctor. And we would support them on that journey. But there's been a lot more education around that. People are okay to say I'm a diabetic, but people feel embarrassed and ashamed to say I struggle with mental illness. And so as a body, what have we done to cause for that kind of shame to exist? And how as a body can we begin to really kind of minimize the stigma, get rid of it completely and allow people to just speak about their areas of struggle that they're in? I don't think that's a one kind of answer. That's an ongoing dialogue and discussion that we need to be having in our churches. That makes sense. Absolutely. I appreciate you um, sharing that. Like I just learned something new too, just thinking about, you know, the fact that this is something just as normal as diabetes or any type of illness that someone can have. And if we wouldn't put a label on that individual who has diabetes, we shouldn't put a label on someone who is dealing with a mental illness. Now, another thing that comes up a lot of times is Sometimes doctors, um, psychiatrists will prescribe a medication when someone is dealing with a mental illness. What is your perspective on that? And how should we see that as believers? Yeah. So again, you would never discourage someone from taking their, you know, like insulin. Mm -hmm. Pray your way through. You would never say that. You would say, take your insulin. Right. That your sugars are leveled out. I think what the concern is, is when people don't feel like they need to be taking the medication or people feel like their doctors quickly prescribe the medication to them. So first off, I am a psychotherapist and so I don't prescribe medication. I, the the background that I have with regards to medication is when I was doing my internship, I did it at a medical facility with to be a Christian doctor, family physician, uh, G, whatever the letters are, he was a family doctor, but then he also specialized in uh, marriage and family therapies, uh, psychotherapist as well. And so I was able to see both of those worlds collide. And so I learned a lot. I got educated a lot with him around 
This is how, for example, depression affects the brain. This is a picture of a brain that has depression. This is a picture of a brain that does not have depression. This is sort of the brain of a, a person with depression that's unmedicated. This is how it looks in five years. This is the brain damage that happens without you actually beginning to treat that mental illness versus someone who's taken medication and also engaged in talk therapy and how the best form of treatment for someone to be able to navigate that well. So I feel like we need to be encouraging people to go to their physicians and get educated around what's been prescribed to them. I also would say it's okay to get a second opinion. It's okay to talk to your doctor and tell your doctor, I'm nervous about this. There's a lot of side effects that are scary. You know, having a constant conversation with your physician, this is how I'm feeling. I'm not liking this. Can we change the dose? Can we change the medication? And calling them to be accountable to you on that matter. But I don't think that it's right for someone who is not specialized in this area to tell someone, don't take medication. How could you do that? How could you, out of ignorance, say something to someone about a matter that you don't have specialty in? I would say let's invite some specialists that we trust, that we are confident in, and get them to give maybe a second opinion so that this person can get the breakthrough that they need. So good. So good. Last question. We're wrapping it up, but can you tell us a little bit about your wellness village? You have a community. Can you tell us about that and how can one join if they have the desire to join? Yeah. So the wellness village. So I've wanted to do a mentoring group for years and it just, the timing wasn't right. And I wasn't, I think, ready for that additional, because the whole another, like, you know, load of work that goes into that. And so last year I had the release and I launched it. So basically it's four different, I wouldn't say groups, because sometimes the same people kind of continue along. Mm -hmm. Um, We do it for like each quarter of the year. We are focused on mental wellness and health. We're talking about spiritual wellness and health, and we talk about our physical wellness as well and our physical health. And we have individuals who specialize in spiritual disciplines and growth, physical fitness and health. And then I focus on mental health, of course, and emotional health. And it's just a space where people can think about the objectives and the goals that they have for their life. And we hold ourselves accountable to getting those things done. We are uh, going as a community, as a group, and we support each other. We encourage each other. We hold ourselves and each other accountable. We educate ourselves around the areas that we feel called to. So, you know, one person might be working on, you know, starting a business or like launching a business or like scaling a business where another person might be working on weight loss or another person might be working on deepening their spiritual walk. It's Mm -hmm. it's nice to see Mm -hmm. the diversity of goals that people have. But at the end of the day, it's this idea of a village that is focused on wellness and we are walking together. So four times a year is when I open up the membership for individuals to join. So if you think about the quarters, you know, January to March, so like 
around the middle of March is when I will be reopening for the second quarter again, and so on and so on throughout the year. So I'm really excited about it. It's uh, I've seen God doing incredible things in the lives of the members as well as my own, because I got my goals. That's right. And you are, <laughs> you are definitely slaying your goals. Yeah. I see you yeah. and you are an inspiration to me in so many ways. And I just thank you for your yes. And, you know, you're such a giver, constantly giving and your wealth of knowledge. And so I just I'm so grateful to have you in my life. And, um, you know, where can they find you on social media, email? Where can they find you so that, you know, if they can follow you? Mm-hmm. Yes. So I can be found. If you just put my name in Colleen Blake Miller two L's, two E's. That's my handle for Instagram and Facebook. I'm usually on Instagram. If you type in Colleen Blake Miller to Google as well, you'll find me. I've got a website and lots of great, great things that uh, are out there to help folks. My Instagram, I share a lot of content on wellness and just supporting. Really, the intention is just to be an encouragement. So if someone comes on and they watch a video and they're encouraged, that I have accomplished my call. So folks can definitely check me out that way as well. Excellent. Absolutely. Well, Colleen, again, thank you so much for being a part of the Slay the Giants podcast. Um, You were definitely amazing. Got to have you back for another segment. I appreciate you and uh, be blessed. Thank you, Slay the Giant podcasters. And, you know, those of you who are listening, I appreciate you. I pray that this has blessed you today and, uh, Looking forward to having you guys back with us the next podcast. See ya. Bye.